be or not to be. Faithless is he that says farewell in the road dark. Do what is meaningful and not as expedient. That is the question. Bros before bros. Welcome back to the Pros Before Bros podcast. I am with my good friend, James Crocker. What's good, man? I'm going to tell you what's good. <laughs> you, I know you're going to say this every episode, and I still get caught off guard by it every time, but now I've got something. All right, I'm going to tell you what's good. i got a good story. Oh, yeah, let's hear it. Let's hear it. All right, so I was uh, at the Mexican restaurant today. I don't know if that's becoming a theme on, on the podcast or not. The last one was but, a chicken burrito. So, But I was at a Mexican restaurant today, and I promise you. Did you say Mexican? <laughs> I think you said Mexican. Is that Mexican? Well, I was there. And I promise you, I saw Santa Claus. Oh, I think you got you sent a picture of that. I promise yeah. you, I saw Santa Claus. So you saw the picture. I saw it. You sent it to me. And, and I may put this uh, picture in the description of the podcast because yeah. I think the listeners need to see. I mean, this is legit Santa Claus. There's, you, no, there's no doubt. And if you're worried, like if you're wondering, like, what does Santa wear when it's 99 degrees outside and he's getting knee deep in a mocha hectic? <laughs> he's got these red and green Crocs on. <laughs> it's Santa Crocs. And what I noticed in the picture is he don't he don't he ain't got him he ain't have the athletic activation on it. He's got that that, that back heel. <laughs> they're they're, they're not in four wheel drive. <laughs> four wheel drive. <laughs> well, Santa's doing work on them chips and salsa, man. Yeah, I mean, and what's funny is like he's like got red pants. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's legit Santa Claus. There's no question, man. That's awesome. That is so awesome. Um, well, that is good. That is good. Um, today we're going to be talking about. My selection for the book um, of this episode, and this is a book that I read. Uh, James did one that he had read earlier in the year, and uh, I, I am reading this week. Uh, I've I actually finished uh, two books this week. It started one this morning um, on uh, Caesar, um, and it's so far so good. It's just very compelling, but I wanted to do one because it's such a compelling book, and it's actually one that I think I read it's either in February or March. Um, the author is Neil Postman, and the name of the book is Amusing Ourselves to Death. And the worth the read on this book is it will cause you to change completely the way you view television. And when I say view television, I don't mean with your feet on, a, uh, on an ottoman, you know, and you're, you know, uh, jogging pants. I mean how you think about television, not what's on television, but television as a medium like it it blew my mind um of of how he described it kind of being this book was written in the 80s so it's um, i i don't i guess 50s is when they become wild widely available that's like those early tv shows the 50s that, and stuff like that that sounds legit yeah and so they he's like 30 years into it and he thinks that we are absolutely becoming dumber <laughs> because of television. And it's not... He, he As a public school teacher, I concur. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Real-life experience here. But no, like, the, the, the way he describes it. So that's, to, to, again, the worth the read is that he will change how you view television. When I say that, I mean think about television and one thing that I noticed, the, the, the book is very small. I like large novels. I like big biographies. I'm, I'm a fan of, of long books. This is a very short book. I listened to it on Libby. I mean, five hours, I think, but it's so potent. You could tell the guy that wrote it, you know, he's, 
I think he's an educator, probably a professor. I think he was a professor at some uh, New York, uh, maybe NYU or something like that. And every sentence is loaded to the gills with a, a like a poignant, like sh- very sharp, succinct statement. And I, I, I found myself like stopping and like listening to it again and backing up, not because I'm not paying attention. I mean, I'm just saying like I need to chew on this some more. So the worth the read is it's a complete paradigm shift of how television affected American society. All right, now I will have to tell you that, that you don't have to convince me to read this book because you already have convinced me to read this book. <laughs> right, I remember. Uh, you mentioned it in a class you were teaching last year sometime, and so I just kind of made a note of it and looked it, went, looked it up, went and got it on Libby, uh, listened to it. So I've already, I've already uh, listened to this book, and I'm, I'm already somewhat familiar with it, but it has been a while. And, uh, I mean, you may convince me to, to go listen again. I, 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 before this podcast, I was like, I, I, I checked to see, and it was going to be like six weeks out. And I was like, well, I'll listen to it again in six weeks after I do the podcast. It's something that when you get uh, familiar with Libby, you'll understand. They'll give you a, a, a skip-the-line copy sometimes. Somebody maybe that was ahead of you says they don't want to read it. You know, they got something else to read. And it came available, and I was like, hot dog, I'm going to get into it. And, bro, I'm telling you – the the sentences are so loaded, like, and I, I listen. When I say I listen, man, I'm not, I'm not vacuuming, you know, and got it on in the background. I want every ounce. I'm like this with anything I watch, any type of media that I consume. If I'm reading an article, I got to read it. I got to read every line. I got to listen to every word. And there was stuff that I, the second listen, I'm like, man, I did not get it that. I mean, it's so... It's just loaded. And so the worth the read, again, and I'll reiterate, and you, I, I'm not convinced. This will actually be a first, I think, on the, on the podcast here. There's something that we've both read and we can both can intelligently talk about. Let me, uh, I'll start with a quote, um, and this is just in the, the, the preface. This is like something that he, out the gate, you know this is going to be a different type book. And this is what he says in the introduction. Now, I, I picked up on the quote halfway through um, the introduction, so to put it in context, he says, after George Orwell wrote 1984 about Big Brother, if you haven't read uh, George Orwell, you need to read him. I would recommend you read 1984 and also read Animal Farm. Yes, Both of them are books. very much applicable to today uh, and, and society. But in the 80s, when Mr. Postman wrote his book, he says, we were all keeping our eye on 84. So basically he's saying we were all, we, we heard the warning. Right. George Orwell warned us about big government, about fascism, about uh, totalitarianism, all these things. So we were watching 1984. And this is, I'll pick up on the quote now. We were keeping our eye on 1984. When the year came and the prophecy didn't, thoughtful Americans sang softly in praise of themselves. The roots of liberal democracy had held. Wherever else the terror had happened, we, at least, had not been visited by Orwellian nightmares. But we had forgotten that alongside Orwell's dark vision, there was another, slightly older, slightly less well-known, equally chilling, Aldous Huxley's Brave New World. Contrary to pop, a common belief, even among the educated, Huxley and Orwell did not prophesy the same thing. Orwell warns that we will be overcome by an externally imposed oppression. But in Huxley's vision, no big brother is required to deprive us of their, or, or deprive people of their autonomy, maturity, and history. As he saw it, people would come to love their oppression, to adore the technologies that undo their capacities to think. What Orwell feared were those who would ban books. What Huxley feared was that there would be no reason to ban a book, for no, there would be no one who wanted to read one. 
Orwell feared that those would deprive us of information. Huxley feared that those who would give us so much that we would be reduced to passivity and egotism. Orwell feared that the truth would be concealed from us. Huxley feared that the truth would be drowned in a sea of irrelevance. Or irrelevance. Orwell feared that we would become a captive culture. Huxley feared that we become a trivial culture, preoccupied with some equivalent of the Phillies or the orgy-porgy or the centrifugal bumble puppy. As Huxley remarked in Brave New World Revisited, the civil libertarians and the rationalists, who are ever on the alert to oppose tyranny, fail to take in account man's almost infinite appetite for distractions. In 1984, Orwell added, people are controlled by inflicting pain. In Brave New World, they are controlled by inflicting pleasure. In short, Orwell feared that we what we fear will ruin us, and Huxley feared what we desire will ruin us. And so what a mm-hmm. out-the-gate, wow. <laughs> unbelievable wow. eloquence and speech, but also a... Surgic, a surgeon-like focus on on the problem. Wow. So, so I've actually I've read. I'm sure you have too. I've read both of those books that, that he mentioned there, 1984 and A Brave New World, and um, and and like he's saying, and and I tend to agree that that Huxley is is was more on on the on the target of of where we're at today. Right. I, I think it was so crazy that when I when I've heard about this book. I was actually preparing for a, a youth panel. I was I was I was honored to be. Uh, I speak at this youth panel every year at this youth conference in in Corinth, Mississippi. And I was asked. I've been asked to speak on the panel for several years in a row. This past year, I was asked to, to minister in one of the day services. But they asked me to speak on the issue of in the age of information, all this like uh, all the connectivity that we have on social media. Uh, and I can't even remember the the exact question, but basically. You know, how do we disconnect from that and have real experiences at church, not the ones that are seeking for? Right. And so I got to studying on this question, and I came across this book. And I and, and what was funny is I came across the intro, intro, introductory passage, and, it, and I didn't even—it's so funny. I had read, like you, I had read 1984 and A Brave New World the year before in, like, almost succession, right. like within a couple months of each other. I didn't even think about them being connected. I just thought, well, these are you know dystopian, just, right. you know, futures, and but and and what and what the what he says in the last line before getting to the book, he says this book talking about amusing ourselves to death is about the possibility that Huxley, not Orwell, was right. Now, in Orwell's defense, Orwell was right in communist countries. Yes, he predictly or he, he he's you know uh, prophesied all of what happens there, and 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 what Postman is not he's not saying that. Orwell was a false prophet. He says we were more worried about that in America. Yeah, and and so because it did happen, and 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 Postman does tip his hat to that. You know, it's like we survived, liberal democracy survived. It happened every other places, but not here. But then he says, "Oh, oh but Huxley's did happen here." And the, go ahead. the one thing that struck me about this book um, when I when I first read it was that when it was written, right? Because I mean, this I mean. A lot of the topics that he's talking about, you're thinking about, man, he's he's he is uh, talking about us where we're at today. Right. I mean, and this book is what it, it's going on forty years old now, right? Right. right. It's it's a hard that's a hard pill to swallow because I was born in the eighties, <laughs> right. right? But yeah, he I think he wrote it in the mid to late eighties, and so yeah, we're we're getting thirty five forty year uh, range right now. Um, one of the things that um, that 
that he clues in on or keys in on early on, and it's a Marshall McLuhan uh, quote where he says, the metaphor becomes the message. Basically, it's this idea, and he doesn't agree with all of uh, McLuhan's points, but McLuhan was, had written before Postman, and he says there are certain things, there are certain things that come up, come up um, into our psyche, into our knowledge, and the thing itself is so powerful that it actually becomes the message. And so the first part of Postman's um, point that he's trying to make is that TV was such a game-changing force of American life that we look at it as it's the medium that can get the message out. And Postman says, no, it's the medium that is the message. The message itself is changed by the type of content that can be sent across it. That everything that we are programmed to know about the news, politics, even the weather, has now been infected by an entertainment-based model. Because you're not going to watch the news if it's not entertaining. That's why you have the music. That's why you have good-looking people. Why, do good, why, why has it got to be some gorgeous person telling me about the weather? You know, I'm sure ugly people <laughs> know about the weather, you know, but it's, it's entertainment-based. It's why the, they've got the exciting intros in the music, and that's also why you get short little clips and they move on. And he says there's, there's, there's names for this and other things. In, in psychology, it's called schizophrenia. <laughs> in, in entertainment, it's called vaudeville. It's like distract over here. Look at this. Now look at this. Now look at this. Now look at this. Now look. And he and he actually keys in onto that whole now this that 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 harsh hard corner segue when it's like okay you just told a bunch of people about a famine in a third world country and millions are dying. Now this, you know, Humphrey Bogart has a new movie out. You know, and 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 he says it's this 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 idea that's like you've thought about that long enough. You know, we don't want you to think deeply about it. We don't want us to solve problems. We're not, we're not trying to figure out what we're going to do, and it becomes entertainment. And that's, that's pretty much the whole gist of the book is, like, we're amusing ourselves amusing to death. Ourselves to the, death. The, the way that television changed everything was that it didn't give us a new way to get access to the information that we've always had. It gives us new information, and it's useless and trivial, and it's, it's not... It's making us dumber because we move from a print base, and he make this is the point that he wants to, to get a drive home, and he does, is they went from a print base epistemolo epistemology, how we know is what you read and reason and logic, and you can argue in print, like say like the Federalist, the Federalist Papers did, where you have these long essays where people are arguing across the country. And, and, and that is a lost art. Right. People, very few people can actually write convincingly. Right. Um, and, you know, as a teacher, I see this all the time. Um, kids kids don't know how to write. Right. Like, they don't know how to take their thoughts from their mind and coherently put them on paper. Right. And, and one of the things that he points out in this is how, how, how television has ruined the political debate scene is that you take he, – he spent a little time talking about the Douglas-Lincoln de uh, debates. And these debates, like, they were like – he was like I – mean, they've got their, their own record – these debates would go like Douglas would have three hours to talk about, you know, why slavery, why we need to keep the institution of slavery. And Lincoln's like, oh, I'm going to need at least much as much time to my, for my rebuttal. And then he's going to need at least half of that for his rebuttal after the rebuttal. And so, like, the Lincoln-Douglas debates were these, these wildly popular debates. And, bro, there was an appetite for it. Americans, like, showed, there was, like, this one that happened. I forget if it was the second or third or whatever debate. They'd done this for hours before. Douglas went for, like, three hours. 
And Lincoln gets to his terms like, guys, it's getting about dinner time. Why don't y'all go home, eat some food, get some food in your belly, wash your face, and come back because I'm going to take three hours to answer this. And they did. <laughs> People did. And you think about like what our debates look like now. We're on television. It's like, all right, middle it, crisis, you know, it, Afghanistan. It, you got three minutes. It, to tell us. <laughs> yeah, it's just one-liners. Right. Basically, it's right. catchphrases. It's entertainment. It's entertainment. It's, it's for our amusement. Well, we, who got the Who got the knockout punch? You know, I, I think I remember. I remember seeing a study that said in, in, in most elections, you can predict the winner by having people look at snapshots of the candidates and tell who's more attractive. Oh, yeah. Well, have you ever, there was, and I don't know, I don't think this was even talked about in his book, but there, I read it in some other book that when television, the first, I don't know if it was the first televised presidential debate, but one of the first televised uh, presidential debate was between Nixon and Kennedy. Mm-hmm. And everybody that listened to the, on the radio said Nixon won. And everybody that watched it on TV said Kennedy won because it was the optics. He was young, he was smooth, he's very, you know, suave, and he had great lines or whatever. But substantively, it seemed like Nixon, the people just listening to the argument, the reason right. was like, this guy's got it. But they, it was all the visuals, and it was, it was that thing. This is something that he said speaking of uh, politics. He says, right now we have cosmetics over competence. Uh, for our politicians and journalists. And that's true. And this is written in the 80s, the same thing same today. It's like right. we want them to look better rather than to be better. And we want them to sound like they know it. Rather, like, they, like our journalists, then they can get a story wrong. It has doesn't matter. They don't have to print retractions. You know, the, the you know media has been found over and over to lie to, especially this past year. Right. And there's no consequences. It's cosmetics over competence. This is what um, he says about culture. And this is, gets to the, the medium becomes the message. He says, all culture is conversation. So forms exclude certain contents. Think about it this way. So you have a communication. You can send smoke signal, signals to uh, communicate with someone. Right. Um, it, probably a good warning system if you're far enough away that you could see somebody send up. It's like, hey, some people are coming. You could, that's a, a good way to communicate is through smoke signals. If you don't have Morse code at that time, no, no telegraphs or anything like that. But the, the medium excludes certain contents. You're not going to be discussing philosophy, the with, nature of... With smoke signals. With smoke right. signals, right. Because the medium controls and excludes certain types of things. And this is what Mr. Postman argues. He's like, with print, with, with writing, you can argue anything, long form, have reason or whatever. But television excludes certain type of conversation. And, he's, and, and that's, well, again, one of the cruxes of the, of the book is that we don't... We can't, like, and he gives statistics as well early in American life, what the literacy rates were, how you had, like, and, and I'm trying to think which, which European traveler came over and was like, this is the most literate society maybe in the history of the world. Like, everybody reads. I mean, if you look at, at the, the founding fathers of our country and you just read some of the, the right. stuff that they wrote, I mean, you talk about elegant Prose, right? I mean, just those just random Talking letters. About prose before bros, exactly. <laughs> just like just regular correspondence uh, that they would write. And even if you get up uh, to the time of the Civil War and you read some letters uh, from Civil War soldiers, just regular, just soldiers. regular people, yeah. not not highly educated West Point graduates, just regular soldiers writing home to their their love, you know. And it's just this elegant letter that that's right. written and. And now, I mean, if you My can even get Penelope. Yeah. 
now if you can even get somebody to spell words without abbreviating, you know, the letters you are right. for for your or right. using the correct version of your. But you know, that's another topic for another day. <laughs> the uh, speaking of the while we're on that topic, let me th- give a, a quick uh, pitch for my favorite Civil War book I read last year, um, Company H, spelled A Y T C H, written by Private Sam Watkins, and it reads like a Mark Twain story. And it's a guy from the uh, Tennessee regiment. It's company H, like the letter H, but mm-hmm. he spelled it phonetically. And it is it was one of my favorite books I read of all the last year. It was amazing. I shouldn't say my favorite Civil War book. Grant was really, really good. But as far as like enjoyable, it was really, really good. This is what he says. Now listen, Postman comes off as being pretty uh, harsh critic. You, yes. you you mentioned what was I love what you say. It's a, it's, it's such a crocker word. Uh you remember what you said? He comes, uh, he comes off as being a kind curmudgeon? of curmudgeon. Yes, yeah, yeah, <laughs> and he does. He really, really does. He sounds like the old guys. Like ah, but this is something that was encouraging that I thought he says he's not against the trivial output. He makes a case like there's certain there's certain things on TV that's enjoyable that we should use that for. He's saying like amusement. There's nothing wrong with entertainment. There's nothing wrong with amusement. Watch. Bonanza, you know, watch the gun smoke, you know, whatever. And this is in the eighties. I don't know what he's watching back then. You know, Magnum PI or whatever. You know, he said he don't have a problem with that. He said entertainment is is printed just like it's produced on TV, and it's actually enjoyable. You can print entertainment. You can watch it. He goes when it attempts to be serious. That's when he says it's the most dangerous. He says he he can watch the shows. He can enjoy it and be amused. But when you're talking politics and we're talking the news, he's really against televised news. Um, he's like, this is like this is a disaster when it comes to America. Now again, you don't have to agree with all his conclusions, but his argument is well made. He he it's. It's it's pretty awesome, and I would love because he talks all this about TV. And this well, is what 80s. would he say about the internet? You know, I've thought about that. You know, but I think that he would probably argue in favor of the internet because you can get large, long documents on the internet. You know, think about how easy it is to uh, transmit essays on the internet and, and news articles and things like that. It's actually, you know, you would be in the same vein as the printing press, but but, but it he, also includes. But you think he would be okay with it, even though. It offers many more opportunities to be distracted, right? And, because, and to well, be the thing amused. is about the internet, it like it uses television clips, and right. so and that's what Postman is saying is like, bro, our brain has been rewired to only want to get news in a certain way, that we're not going to read, you know, the three thousand word article arguing for in the Middle Eastern policy. We want the, the, the 10 second either gotcha where somebody gets Biden trip up or whatever, and that's rewired our brains. Yeah. And so, well, I guess what he's saying, like, so internet kind of is like, it's everything, but you can also get the long form conversations. Like internet makes it possible for like podcasts like this, right. like a Joe Rogan talk to somebody for three hours. Like I would rather, that would be honestly, and, and they've talked about this uh, in the last few years, I would love for a Joe Rogan presidential debate. Like I would love for a three. Where he just let them sit down, and and we're going to talk until we get through this issue. We're right. going to go deep dive into it. Absolutely. Why? I mean, why do we need a two minute blurb on how to how to solve world hunger? I mean, really? That's that's we're going to solve it in two minutes. It's just so ridiculous. It's just and again, it's 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 just amusement. It's entertainment. It's looking for that knockout punch, and it's and that's where Postman says that's where it's dangerous. It's when it's when it's acting like it's not entertainment, but we still know it is. Because you're going to do the news. If you're not having anybody watching it, you're going to change something. You're going to get a better-looking person. Um, 
he told a story. I thought it was pretty funny. He told a story about a uh, a lady that got hired at a, to a, a, on, a, on a news as a news anchor in Kansas. Um, and she tested well, and she looked good apparently. And they hired her, and then they fired her a week because uh, like they had some complaints about she was distracting to look at. <laughs> and she like, sued them. It's like we cannot concentrate on what this woman's saying <laughs> because she looks too good. Right, right. No, actually, I think I, it was something about they didn't trust like. I don't know what it was. I don't think it was because of her she appearance. She wasn't trustworthy. They didn't. I think so. I think that's what it was, that they didn't believe. Like, and again, I'm like, man, I don't know if you watch the news. I don't believe any of this, cousin. So, so it's like the I mean, anchorman yeah, type thing. So you the, know? <laughs> it's that, you know, read the teleprompter, and they'll just like a performing monkey. Yeah. They're just going to say what's on that teleprompter. So let me ask you this. This this might, I don't mean to derail your, your no, no, no. train of thought here, no, but what I want. how long has it been since you've actually watched a newscast? Me, personally? You, Kenny Chesser. It's probably been eight or nine years now. <laughs> That's what I'm thinking. I don't watch the news. I don't watch the news. I don't. I don't. I don't get what I want when I if I'm if I'm if I'm going there to be informed. What's, there's a great Denzel Washington uh, quote, and actually, I think uh, shout out to OK Touche. Some of my friends down in Orlando, they have a great podcast, and he mentioned this about uh, on his. They had a news thing about. Um, uh, they have a they have a great show. They they just do hot takes. It's not really important topics, but they they just one of them throw out a hot take and they'll just casually argue about it. But one of the they were talking about the news a little bit and he quoted Denzel Washington. I'd heard it on uh, the internet before, but basically it says you can either not watch the news and be uninformed, or you can watch the news and be misinformed. <laughs> it's like those are the options. It's like you know pick one. You're either going to be misinformed or uninformed. He says, but you ain't going to watch the news and be informed. And I agree with that. Like I re. I, you know, they're like, I guess I could watch, probably what I could watch is like people that are open with their political biases and say, hey, look, we're going to, you know, we'll give you a conservative or even we're going to give you a liberal. Like, at least I know, like a Bill Maher, like he's, you got to watch his language, but you'll get clips of him. I mean, he had a great clip on Twitter this week about what his, uh, his take on Afghanistan was. And, but he's, he makes no bones about it. He's not trying to convince you he's a straight newsman. He's very much a liberal and this is what it is. So I, I, I respect that more than than people playing a part. Bro, they're actors, man. They're, there's a Switchfoot song um, that came out with about 10, 15 years ago called Selling the News. It's like, and that's what they're <laughs> doing. They're selling it, man. Yeah. It's a business. You know, and if they're not entertaining, if they're not, um, you know, getting the clicks, if you don't go to the web, web uh, things on the headlines, the clickbaity headlines, not getting the clicks, not getting, you know, that's, that's what sells. So in this book, does... does does Postman offer a solution? He does. Um, by the end of it, what, what are we running on our time right now? Um, I don't want to get... Um, I didn't start a time. I think we're probably about 20, it feels 20 about, 21 minutes. Yeah, it, probably so. feels, it feels right at 20 minutes. Um, one thing that he says, um, and at, by the end of the book, he's like, look, and this is how culture-shaping television is. He was like, I'm writing a book about the dangers of television. Everybody's telling me, you know, you got to go on television to, <laughs> <laughs> He's like, you, you got to go on the show and yeah, talk about you got to raise awareness. Like uh, I'm against television. And I, it made me think of, and this is something that we hadn't talked about in an episode and we might as well, because you know, people that listen, they know us very well. We, me and you are from a very conservative religious upbringing, uh, and right. uh, organizations that we've historically been a part of. There's always been a debate about television, uh, about the merits of it. And what was funny is like, I'm reading this book. I'm like, bro, I don't know if mm, these preachers back then in the eighties <laughs> reading them but i don't think that any organization would ever have television if they read this book because <laughs> but he's arguing for different reasons right they're telling like it's so funny like the most religious people that say television is bad will tell you 
watch the news, but you, all that other garbage. And Postman's making the opposite. He's like, he's the like, news is the worst. Yeah, thing exactly. He's like, you know, watch the garbage, be entertained by the garbage, but don't don't be taking them seriously when they talk about like uh, policy or whatever. So one of the things, speaking of that in that vein, one of the things that he says is that what he thinks is that we need to to think deeply and start having complete thoughts again. We've had, we, our mind has been so fractured, we can't think deeply anymore. He says we need to think complete thoughts on how television is changing us. He says we got a must target, not what we watch. And this is where some of the religious people, I think, get it wrong, is what you watch. He says we got to target how we watch. Like literally just even asking, are we watching television in an appropriate way? He said even that question is a step in the right because nobody's having that conversation. It becomes a meta medium. It's not, we don't have a discussion about television, good or bad anymore. We have a tele- we have a discussion of what's on television. Like it's, it's in the meta, like we live in that meta. So he says like, even asking the question, is this warping our minds? Is this helping us or whatever? And he says, and, and again, he, he, he admits the absurdity of it but it's like even if we had television programs because that's where everybody's you know at the time in the 80s that's where we're watching maybe now internet shorts i guess podcasts maybe we can do podcasts on it or whatever but raising awareness that television is not your friend he there's a quote on here and i've got so many uh quotes I, i can't i can't even find it uh again but basically he says uh that television does is doesn't amplify public discourse it attacks it like people think it's like we can we can use this to talk to Americans and get our message out. And he's like, no, it's actually attacking the very thing that you're trying to do. If culture is conversations, and then the biggest conversation you're having is excluding certain types of conversations, a certain type of content, he says it's attacking public discourse. It's not amplifying. It's not helping it. It's and it's weird now because like I said, we're we're 30, 35, 40 years now past this right. book. But I'm I see it too. And I see it, you know, on the internet, but mm-hmm. I do see the internet honestly changing it and bringing us back to a more depending on how you use it's like a tool, depending on how you use it. But for me, I can use the internet better for his for on his good points right. than I can television. Because I'm not gonna you ain't gonna get a three hour program on, you know, the nature of man. You know, or, 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 or the, you know, what is the meaning of life? But you can find that easily on the internet. So, so was, was Postman a defeatist in the fact that we, we had gone too far and there was no coming back or, or, or what was his position? Did he think that him being an evangelist for this was going to make a difference or? No, no, I didn't get that. Uh, I think, I think a defeatist would probably, uh, I think his, his position was the horse is out of the barn. You ain't getting it back, and he does say that at that near the end of the book, he's like, "Like I, I make, I have no false pretenses that will ever turn off television." Now he did talk about there were some studies, and this is back in the '80s, but there were some studies where people literally there were campaigns like, "Turn off your TV for a week, turn mm-hmm. off your TV for a month, and let's reevaluate." And he's like. That's great, but what was so funny was he says they went on television talking about how, what a success it was. <laughs> and again, so, that shows you that it's the media, it's the meta medium. It's like if you want people to be aware of TV as a problem, you got to talk about it on TV. <laughs> <laughs> well, so you know, this week uh, we we mentioned our forty days of fire thing at, at the church on on the last episode. Well, this week our fast is the media fast. Right. It's media fast, right? And and so, you know, we're kind of going to be taking a page out of Postman's book. I am going when to You say we, James. I, 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 I stood up this week. I I am I'm going to be tempting this fast. Uh would you well, let me ask you this, would you consider Libby media? 
Um, I think it. I, I think I'm still gonna read books. I, I don't think it. I don't think it is media. Um, I'll, we'll, we'll we'll get a spiritual uh, uh, <laughs> advisor in on it. It's like, hey, can we still read? Uh, listen to books. Well, well, my question was, are they gonna tell you you can't read a book? Right. Exactly. You know, during this, I mean, is is reading the Bible? Is that media? Does that count? I mean, I don't. But you know, but actually, you know, we're kind of kind of doing doing the postman thing. You right. Know? That's right. And you know, I, honestly, I look at it. There's another book. Um, that I read uh, in the last couple of weeks, and it was for our, our one of our culture classes, and I'm doing it on the other podcast, the Kenny Chester podcast, talking about it. But one of the things was treating um, the idea of Sabbath um, as a time to unplug and 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 um, reset. And uh, Orthodox Jews do this today. If you follow Ben Shapiro on any social media, you'll know that from uh, sundown on Friday to sundown on Sunday. It's Shabbat. Or uh, do, do you know? I'm, I'm, I'm so uh, nah, illiterate when it comes nah, to Jewish. I think it's. I think that's it. I think it's. I think there's a period of time uh, from Friday to Sunday in which they 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 get off uh, media, like no phones or anything like that. And the value of that is, it's like no, nothing is made. Even our electronics aren't made to be on twenty four seven. There's 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 wisdom in unplugging. There's wisdom and right. you know letting rest, and so I think there's wisdom in that. And I think honestly, people, I'm off of a lot of social media uh, for the last several years on uh, Facebook and Instagram. Brother Quality, my life shot up. You know, I thought like at first, like, well, I'll try this. Sale. It was like I was like, it, it improved so much that I didn't have, I didn't go back. And so with fast like this, I think it, think of it as like a digital Sabbath. You know, yeah. a place to un, unplug and. Well, you know, studies, you know. Uh, have shown psychological studies have shown that that people become addicted uh, to social media and they're designed to be that way. Right. I mean, it's intentional. Right. You know, our social media and the news is that way. They they are intentionally trying to just get your mind to just go from one thing to the other. Right. And there was. Uh, did you ever read any Cal Newport? I don't think I have. He wrote Digital Minimalist and Deep Work. Actually, I think I read Deep Work, yes. Deep Work. Digital Minimalist was more centered around technology, and he says that people that develop smartphones, they literally brought in, like, casino designers because mm-hmm. they wanted to know um, how to, like, what was so, it like, how could they get their, mach- how could they get the phones addictive as, like, slot machines? Like, almost like Pavel's Bell, you know, like, get them to, these notifications to check the phone, like, how many times you pull it out of your pocket to feel that vibration. It's yeah. almost like we're conditioned for that. And, um and I think I think that like it's like you said it's it's especially young people and and I, we're not excluded from this as well. But to be growing up in that, bro, that's it's an addiction that literally it rewires the brain. Right. So I think an unplug is is a, is a good thing there. I think we're probably about out our time. I could talk about this literally. I'd probably <laughs> quoted from ten percent of what I wrote down about right. this. Uh, one thing that I would say that on the way out that I thought was was something he says that that we we have constant. Of information being told to us we know about we know of much but about nothing it's like we know a little about everything but we don't know anything about uh anything <laughs> it's yes. like it's like a thousand miles wide and inch deep right it's like it's like you probably heard of what's going on in afghanistan like could you tell us who the, what the president's name was before do you tell us what language they speak you know, could you tell us you know what the religious observances were before the taliban took over i mean like and it's like you've probably heard afghanistan mentioned no less than 15 times a day for the last week and like what do you know about it you know what do you know now depending on how you consume your news it's probably right. you know if you read but of course everybody's got a really strong opinion about it exactly based on that one inch deep 
knowledge. Exactly, exactly. And it's so it's never have so many people been so passionate about so little <laughs> information. You know, it's just it's amazing. But anyway, um, so that's that's all. We'll conclude with the episode today. I recommend James. Do we have your recommendation as well? Yes, I, I would recommend reading Neil this book. Postman. Amusing ourselves to death. Again, it might hurt your feelings. You might want to turn off the TV. It might convict you about other social media apparatuses. I don't know. But the man, whether you agree with him or not, he makes a compelling case. He argues very well. And speaking of people that losing the ability to argue at reason and logical analytical arguments uh, mr postman does not fall in that category <laughs> he he makes an airtight uh, case in my opinion even though he comes off as a, a curmudgeon a few times <laughs> get off my lawn right exactly exactly um thank you guys for listening this is our fourth episode we'll be cranking these out once a week we're looking at a wednesday uh it looks like a, a a posting schedule thank you for listening to this episode check back with us next week god bless